Amen. Our reading from God's holy word comes from Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Father in heaven, as we come now before your word from this marvelous letter of Ephesians, we would ask for your spirit. That dove from heaven to a light on each and every one of us, upon us as your people today, to bring to light the marvelousness of this, your word. That we might know who it is that we are, that we might know what it is that you have called us to, and most of all, we might know your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the true, beloved child of God. It is in Him this day that our life is hidden and it is in His name that we come. And we would pray now that as we attend to this, Your Word, that You would, by the Spirit, attend closely to our hearts and bring to light all that You would have us to know. Hear this prayer and answer it. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know the old saying, right, that distance makes the heart grow fonder. I feel that, especially after I've been away for a number of days, taking a class and then uh, preaching away last weekend. It was wonderful to cross the threshold of my home and uh, to hear, when I first laid my eyes on my son Luke, to hear him say, Daddy! Right, and and run up. There's really nothing sweeter than that, is there? Uh, than coming home and receiving the greeting of a, of a young child, and uh, seeing their joy, seeing their their love. That's really, in in large part, what the Lord wants us to even know in this text today is something of that very reality and something of, well, the joy that He experiences when we come in relationship uh, to Him, that we are today His children. He is our Father, that He loves us and He longs to be with us, and He trains us and He calls us to grow up to grow up into his love and into his grace and to walk beautifully according to it. We want to consider that this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, this short text, yes, a very short text, but, but a text that in some ways is a hinge, a text that hinges from where we've been in Ephesians chapter 4 to where it is that we're going to be in the rest of Ephesians chapter 5. We've been looking in Ephesians chapter 4 through, well, a whole series of um, punchy instructions from the Apostle Paul, instructions about how to speak, instructions about anger, instructions about 
honest work and not stealing, um, instructions about how to speak a word in right occasion, about how not to grieve the Holy Spirit, to remove all bitterness, slander, and clamor from our life, to walk as we looked at last week in forgiveness, being tender-hearted and kind to one another, even as Christ has forgiven uh, you. We've looked at all of these litany of commands that come at the end of Ephesians chapter 4, and then it's it's almost, and scholars, well, scholars, scholars wrestle with this, is Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 the conclusion really of Ephesians 4, or is it the beginning of something new? And in my study this week, I was going to solve that question for uh, the final time in all of history, and I have come to conclude that it is yes. It is the end of chapter 4 and it is the beginning of chapter 5 that Paul here is in some ways concluding what it is that he has spoken to us in Ephesians 4 and introducing to us the thread that he is going to pull through all the way through um, Ephesians chapter 5. Because as you can see at the end of Ephesians 4, if you actually have your Bibles uh, open, which you might find uh, helpful as we consider uh, the text together, you'll notice there in verse 32 of Ephesians 4, notice this imitation piece, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, right? Forgive as Christ forgave you. That that simile that, that Paul is giving to us there at the end of 4 is a particular application, meaning in the in the way that Christ has forgiven you, imitate that love in the forgiveness of one another. And then it's as if, as Paul says that, he says, you know what, I don't just want you to imitate forgiveness. I want you to imitate God in His love. I want to go more generalized. I want to go larger in application as I enter into the, to, to the last lap in this letter of Ephesians. I want you not just to... And not just to imitate his forgiveness, I want you to imitate his, his love, just not as Christ has forgiven you, but I, but be imitators of God as beloved children in, in the fullest sense of his love. That's what he really charges us in. As you can see too, if you, again, if you have your text open, you can see in verse three, he's going to begin to address some, some false loves, sexual immorality, impurities, greed, He's going to show you ways in which not imitating God looks when you have your mind set on the things of the flesh. And so it seems clear to me here that the Apostle Paul is hinging from Ephesians 4, but also introducing in Ephesians 5 all of the ways in which he wants us to be imitators of God's love because he's going to address a lot of particular things, a lot of sins and challenges that we face in life. He's also going to address things like marriage and and employer-employee relationships and, and parents in relationship to children. He's gonna, he's gonna get meddlesome. He's gonna get into every sphere of our life and he's gonna say, what would it mean to imitate God's love in all of these spheres of life? What, what would the imitation of God's love look like? And so it's appropriate that we would sit in just these two verses today as an entree into the weeks ahead and as a, as a bow on where it is that we've been in Ephesians chapter 4. So with that as an introduction, I want to encourage you to have your mind and your heart centered on three specific things today as we look at Ephesians 5, uh, 1 through 2. And I, I want you to see how Paul tells us here who it is that we are. Who it is that we are. 
And then that he calls us to what it is that we are to do. What it is that we are to do. And then thirdly, how it is that we are to do it. How it is that we are to do it. Now I'm going to answer those questions already at the beginning here for you, so you'll know exactly where it is that we're going to go. Who it is that we are, we are the loved children of God. That's who we are. What are we called to do? We're called to walk in love as the children of God. That's what it will mean to imitate God. To walk in love as children of God. And how are we called to do it? We're called to do it as the child of God loves. As the child of God loves. Now, what do I mean by that last point? Well, we'll get there. We're called to do it. How? As the child of God loves. Catch the the. Because that will be important as we consider these points together. Let's look first at who we are. We are the loved children of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, in, in reading that, I can't help but draw to mind, and I imagine some of you can't help but draw, draw to mind as well, the fact that children love to imitate their parents. I mean, you can picture that five-year-old son, can't you, next to his father at the bathroom sink, um, applying to his face, that little five-year-old face, the shaving cream that dad applies, you know, to his face and, and with an, a non-razored razor blade, um, trying to, to shave just like dad. You can picture it. It brings a smile to our face when our kids do that. You, you can picture that five-year-old little girl next to her mother who's sitting, you know, or, or standing by the, the bathroom sink, applying uh, makeup to her face and, and, and there she is doing the same just as, just as mom is doing. And, and we, we love it when we see that, don't we? It's a great joy in seeing our children imitate, pr- pretend that they are growing up into, to being big boys and, and big girls. It causes a smile to cross our face. There's something precious about it and not just precious in a sentimental sense. But, but precious in the sense that they are practicing, in some sense, ahead of time, who it is that they're going to be. They're practicing ahead of time who it is they're, they're going to be. They're, they're growing, in a sense, through imitation before our, our very eyes. And, and it's, it's, it's why in, in that, that moment we're, we're delighted in it. It's, it's, it's precious to us. It's, we know we're having a, if, if we put it in a literary frame, it's a foreshadowing of, of where it is that they're headed. Now, why do our children imitate us? <laughs> why do our children, you, you're asking that question too, right? Oh, you know, many times we're like, I wish they didn't, right? I wish they didn't imitate us, but, 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 uh, despite, our best attempts at keeping them from often imitating us, they do, don't they? Why, why do our children imitate us? Well, several answers could be set forward there, but the most fundamental of those answers, of course, is that, well, children love their parents. Children love their parents. Their parents are their first love. Their first love. Little boys, right, are convinced they're going to marry their mom, right? 
They're going to they're marry their mom. Little girls are convinced they're going to marry, uh, marry their dad. Uh, they are their first love, and, they, and thus they want to be just like them. As beloved children, there's no one else they want to be other than their dad and, and their mom. Now, if you can, if you can get in the, the spirit of, of that moment, and, and many of you know it experientially and, and personally, I, I want you to see that that's the spirit of Ephesians chapter 5. That's the spirit of these two verses that the Apostle Paul is, is giving us here, that we are children, beloved children of the Father who is in heaven. And, and like grace-filled, loved children who've been purchased purchased by the love of Christ himself, who is sent by the Father to adopt us into the family of God as we are shaped in this, this family of grace, this family of love. Our heart increasingly wants to imitate the one who has loved us so well. We want to become like him. You know what it's like to forget this pattern, don't you? In the Christian life. You know what it's like to, instead of being beloved children out of love, imitate your parents. You know what it's like to go and perform in order to try to get the love of your parents. Do you know the difference in that? Some of us have worked all of our life trying to get the approval of our parents, to get the the love of our parents, to hear our parents say something that would make this void, this pressure inside of us go away. It's very easy for this, this imitation flowing out of love to turn into a performance that's trying to gain love. In the brokenness and the fallenness of the human condition, we often fall into that opposite approach, don't we? Rather than living as beloved children, we live as orphans. We live as those who are on interview with a father and a mother. You know, you hear the stories, don't you, of orphaned children who are coming to potential adoptee families and and how the adoption agencies and everyone that's entrusted to care for that child who's trying, quote-unquote, to get them adopted will clean them up, do the best they can to put the best foot forward, to interview that you might be accepted into a family. Some of us live our Christian lives that way, you see. We're performing on our way. We're imitating. We're learning as much as we can about the Father in hopes that he would would love us. And the Apostle Paul wants to just shatter that today. Be imitators of God as beloved children. As beloved children, that's what he's calling us to. He wants you to know who you are. You are the loved children of God. And it flows out of this lovely status. All of the imitation flows out of this this beloved status that is yours in Christ Jesus. This is who we are. I wonder how you need to hear that today. I wonder how you need to hear that today. I wonder how that needs to be applied to your own heart and in, in, in life today. Go ahead and trace just for a moment into your heart the, the places where you're, you're, you're harried and, 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 and frustrated and, and overworked. 
overcooking things, so to speak. The, the places where there's void, the places where in the silence it, that sense of worthlessness rises up within you. Go to those, go to those places and, and hear today, you're a beloved child of God. Now, how can I be the beloved child of God? Hey, do you know what it is that I've done? Do you know how far it is I've fallen short? Oh, I can only imagine doing a little inventory in my own life. I can only, only imagine. But know this, that your beloved status as a child of God doesn't have to do with you being lovable. It has to do with the fact that Christ was sent as your Savior from the Father out of love for you, not because you were lovable, but because he is infinitely full of love for you. Do you remember what he said to Israel? I didn't love you because you were amazing. Because you were the, the best nation on the block. And I just thought, I will choose them because they are healthy and wealthy and wise. And they, doggone it, people like them. They are amazing, this, this nation of Israel. No. He says, I love you because I love you. And I, I hope that in something in that you can feel the rest of God. And I hope something in you also is compelled at the same time. A rest that rejuvenates. A rest that renews and causes you to say, oh, I want to become more like the one who's loved me. You see, that's where this text goes. Not only are who it is that we are called here in this this text, who it is that we are in this text, the loved children of God, but what we are called to do. We are called to imitate Him, namely, walk in love as children of God. Just as loved children mimic and copy their parents, so you, loved children of God, mimic and copy your heavenly Father. You are to grow through practice into His likeness through imitation, into becoming more like Him. Now, last week I was speaking at this lectureship, the Thornwell Lectures, as they're called in, in at First Pres in South Carolina, and my subject matter was progressive sanctification, which is a fancy word that means growing in grace, growing more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I looked, we took a little time in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 35, what is sanctification? Now, sanctification is a work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. That whereby we are renewed through God's work and power in us, we are renewed in the whole man, not a part of us, not a little bit of us, not a section of us, in the whole man after what? The image of God, after a likeness, after an image. We need to imitate something. After the, the image of, of God, who, who it is that he's made us to be, and that what we're made to be. In Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we are those who were created in his image. We have a design, and, and we are to, to live toward the design in which God has made us to be. We are to be renewed in the whole man after the image of God. You see, that's why I think Paul uses the language of imitation here. You know, he doesn't say, he could say, be thinkers of God. 
And some of us, that's like we wished he said that because we love to think. We live in our minds. We love to think. We want to just be a thinker of God. God cares about your thoughts, by the way. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. But he doesn't care just about your thoughts. You know, we could say, be, be obedient, be doers. Does God care about your obedience? Well, you're going to see in the weeks to come, he cares a lot about your obedience. A tremendous amount about your obedience to be a doer of, of his commands. He could say just be doers. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say be doers or just be thinkers. He doesn't say, contrary to the modern evangelical world, be feelers. Just be, just be feelers. Just be feelers after me. He, he says imitation. Why does he say imitation? Well, imitation is, is broadly applied. It, mean, it means thinking. It means feeling. It means desiring. It means uh, doing. It's an all-encompassing term that's saying to you and to me, let the whole of your life be formed and shaped by God. Take all of your cues in every part of your life from God himself. Let no aspect, let the whole of the man be renewed after the image of God. That's a remarkable statement, isn't it? Uh, do you know, that has to be true. That God will renew us in the whole man after the image of God. Do you know why it has to be true? Because, well, we're Reformed and Presbyterian types. And, and we understand that the Bible teaches this thing called total depravity. Total depravity. Now it can be very discouraging to hear that, that the Bible teaches that we are totally depraved. And some of you are saying, I, I think that may be true of you, Nate, but I don't know that that's true of, of me. I, I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of commendable qualities as I, as I look at my life. Well, that's not what the Bible's teaching. It's not saying that you're comprehensively depraved, you understand. It's saying every faculty of your being is touched and marred by the reality of sin. It means that you can't retreat into your mind and escape sin because your mind has fallen. It has sin in it. You can't retreat into your feelings. Your feelings are, are touched and tainted with sin. You can't just retreat into your actions or your body as, as if you could, you could somehow remove yourself from your, your spirit because your body is touched with sin. Every part of you, the, the totality of your person is touched with sin. You can't, there's nowhere inside of you and in your being you can go to escape the reality of sin. And you know what that means? If we're going to be holy as God is holy, and without holiness no one will see the Lord, then the comprehensiveness of our sanctification, of our imitation, of the fullness of God's grace must meet the totality of our depravity. He's not going to leave part of you unredeemed, unsanctified. Because he knows the scope of the problem. And he's come to fill it and fix it in the fullness of the sins. And so he says to you, as you trust in me, positionally in Christ, you're fully righteous. But practically now, you've got to work all of those things out into your life. And I want you not just to sit around and think great thoughts. I don't want you just to sit around and feel things. I don't want you just to go do things. I want the whole of you. I want you to imitate me in every way. That over time, you might actually be shaped into my very image. Uh, you know, I was fascinated this week when I was reading the 
Jewish scholars on Ephesians chapter 5 and how several of them pointed out that the positive instruction of imitating God was a foreign concept for, for most Jews, most Israelites. And it was due in part to how they looked at the original temptation in Genesis chapter 3. You remember the language of the original temptation in Genesis chapter 3 by the serpent was, you know, if you eat of this tree, you shall be like God. Uh, be like God. That was the, the temptation. Now, on the surface level, you could say that in Ephesians chapter 5 is actually asking us to do like just that. Imitate God. Be, be like Him. Be, be like Him. Im, imitate Him. But, you know, words, this is an important biblical point. Words have meaning in context. In Genesis chapter 3, as the Hebrew is giving to us this language, you shall be like God. It's not like the five-year-old who's pretending to shave. It's not like the, the five-year-old who's pretending to put on makeup next to, to mom. It's not this sweet, uh, loving desire to be likened to. No, it's, it's more, well, you remember that moment in childhood, don't you? When you morphed from delightful, imitative stage to the are you really the boss of me stage? Do you remember that movement in your childhood? Where somewhere along the way, mimicking parents became, I'll do it my way, thank you. Being the parent? That's what's meant, you see, in Genesis chapter 3. That's you know, the fall, <laughs> invading and breaking in upon us in, in, in that moment. The, the Jews often read imitation in, in that way that we, we're not only trying to, as it were, be like God, but we're trying to supplant God. We're trying to supersede God. And, and isn't that so often the sinful tendencies of, of our heart? I had to confess that afresh this week. In many ways, realizing, again, now I have to realize this often, but sometimes the Lord forces you to realize things. And one of the things he forces me to realize this week is I'm not omnipotent. And I can't do everything all, all at once, which I admit is my tendency. That, I, that I'm a human being. I have boundaries. I have capacities. I have limitations that must be respected. They must be honored. They must be tended and cared for. That I am a creature. And that he alone is the creator. Do you know when he says imitate God, that might be one of the things that pops into your mind. How in the world can I as a finite fallen human being imitate the infinite and almighty God? Well, you can't. So he's specific. He's specific about the kind of imitation that he desires from us with regards to God. Notice the way he says it. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ is loved. Just walk in his love. Walk in his love. Notice, there's 15 words in these first two verses, at least in the English. There's 15 words in these first two verses. Three of them are love. Three of them are, are, are love. That's, you know, I'm not great at math, but that's about 20%, isn't it? Something like that? That's a significant, uh, that's a significant amount. The, the theme, Paul's trying to say, get it. He's drawing your point that love is the imitation. We are beloved children. We are to walk in love as Christ has loved us. We are, we are those who 
must live it out, in other words. I want to pause for just a moment and say, you know, listen, notice the language. It's, it's parallel in, in the Greek. Be imitators of God, walk in his love. Those, that's what it, those are meant to be understood together. What does it mean to imitate God? It means to walk in his love as Christ has loved you. That's what it means. Well, what would it mean then to walk in his love? What would it mean to walk in his, in his love? You remember, you remember those first steps that that little child took? How he or she had been, you know, sitting up and then crawling and then it, well, then it became, you know, the game was on when they started crawling. And then they started pulling up on the coffee table and then they started cruising around the coffee table. And then there was that day, there was that day where they went, Right? And they, they stepped away from the coffee table and you, oh my goodness, you, you got out the cameras. And, and, and you were absolutely elated because you, because you saw them walk. That's the father here, you understand. When he says to you, walk in love, I see you as my beloved children. Grow into my likeness. Walk in, walk in my love. Walk in my love. Oh, Nate, I, I take one step and then I fall. Does any parent say to their child after taking their first step, what's wrong with you? Like, that's terrible. Like, get your act together. I mean, like, you're never going to make it in life if that's all that you're able to do, right? No, no parent. Does that your heavenly father doesn't do that either? Your heavenly father doesn't do that either. He rejoices in the stumbling and faltering and yes, falling on the heels of your walking in, in love. He calls us to walk in, in love. And you know, sometimes, well, it's, we have to we have to walk before we can run. That's what the saying says. We have to walk before we can. Can run. I wonder what baby steps would look like for you and me to walk in love. You know, sometimes I'm guilty. I don't know if you're guilty of this, of like seeing the um, the call, and it's so large, it's so all in. Walk in His love. Okay, all right. Walk in His love, and, and it's and it's a little hard to get your head around. It's a little hard to describe, and you, you almost have to break it down, don't you? A little bit practically, what does it look like to walk in His love? Well, it might be. It might be to set aside an intentional time this week on your calendar to go and to serve another in need. It might, it might look like starting in your home. Children, it might look like cleaning up after supper without having to be asked. It might, it might look like cleaning your, your room. It might look like writing a note to your, to your mom. And letting her know how much you appreciate her. Husbands, it might be putting aside the phone, speaking to your wife. It might be praying with her. It might be just really checking on her, knowing what it is that she needs and likes. And in, in my home, it's more about washing the dishes. But I'll just say, you, you know, whatever that is, whatever love looks like, walk in love as Christ has loved you. How did Christ love you? He laid aside his own interests 
and he took up the interest of another? It might be looking to the poor in, in our community and, and finally getting involved. It, 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 might, it might be speaking to that lost neighbor, uh, joining a, a gospel cause. Maybe it starts by not rushing out after church and just speaking to the person to your left or to your right. Or inviting someone to join you for lunch after service. You think to yourself, we think of it as something grandiose, don't we? We think of it as saving the world. You know, how does the old saying go now? I don't even know if it's old, but it feels old to me. To me. You know, this generation wants to save, uh, wants to change the world, but, but really they just need to learn how to change a diaper, right? Right, that it's, that it's the, the simplicity of faithfulness. What would baby steps look like in walking in, in love and, and understanding as beloved children, God has called you into the simple fidelities of, of ordinary life in the spirit of Christ out of care for his people. This is who we are. We're children of God. This is what we are called to do, to walk in love as God's children. But then how are we to love? Well, we've already hinted at it. As the child of God loves. As the child of God loves. Walk in love as Christ loved us. And notice how he loved us. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, we've been saying all along, who is the child of God? And, and you've been saying, haven't you? It's me. It's me. I'm the, I'm the I'm beloved child. That's what it says in verse, in verse 1. And you are. You are his beloved child, but you're, you're, you are his adopted beloved child. There's only one begotten son. There's only one begotten son. And here in this text, he tells us that the way in which we know how to walk in love is that we walk as the child walked. That we love as the child loves. That the true son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we walk in his footsteps. These are our marching orders, isn't it? The, the word imitation literally means to follow. As children, we are following in the footsteps of the child of God, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Well, it means, quite frankly, living a life of loving sacrifice. Uh, did you, do you see the freedom and the willingness that's, that's presented here in this text that he gave himself up for us? It's easy to read the narrative of the Gospels and think that Christ's life was taken from him. <laughs> that all these mean people came and they took his life away from him. But he is the Lamb of God, isn't he? He's a willing sacrifice. He's an offering. He's, he's come on a mission to lay his life down for those in whom he loves. He is a, he is a loving sacrifice. And that's the spirit of our love. You see, if you do schedule that time on your calendar this week, almost immediately when you schedule that calendar time this week to serve someone else, there's going to be something else in your mind and your heart that's going to say, you're really too busy. And you've got so many things that you need to do. And then as that time approaches, you're going to say to yourself, oh, you know, I'm going to put that off to next week. Because it's going to cost you something, you see. It's going to cost you either time or energy or, or, or money or resources or whatever it is. And you think to yourself, how did I get in, into this? Do you know, almost, almost 
Never is sacrifice efficient. Almost never is, is sacrifice, well, by definition, it's never not costly. You know, I, I, I ponder a little bit of how we think even about volunteerism in the local, local church. We talk about volunteers, right? And we think, we even talk about our gifts and we talk about making it easy for people to volunteer. Like it won't even feel like volunteering. It won't even feel like you're volunteering. You're just, you're volunteering, but it won't even feel like you're volunteering. Why do we do that? Well, we want to appeal, right? We often want to appeal. And, and we say that, you know, we, we try to make it, make it fun, make everything happy. You know, one of the interesting things is when we love as Christ loves, sometimes it's just going to feel like death. Sacrifice. As studying First and Second Corinthians this week, I was amazed how so often the Apostle Paul says, you know, the death of Christ is at work in my body. The death of Christ is at work. I'm constantly dying, so to speak, to myself and living unto Christ. He says, I die. The death of Christ is working in me so that life might work in you. So that life might work in you. You know, that's exactly what Christ did. He gave himself up. Death worked in him in order that life might be in you. Isn't that what the, 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 the fathers and the mothers and homes are doing? Isn't that what the teachers are, are doing? Isn't that what the, the, the community servants are, are, are doing? Isn't, isn't that what those who are seeking in the cause of the gospel, both in word and in deed, dying in some sense in order that other things may live? Yes, that is the work. And the only way that that sacrifice will become for you and me a sacrifice that we're willing to make is that we learn to smell the sweet aroma. The sweet aroma of it. You know, Paul, did you see it here? He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering in sacrifice to God. You know, some of you in here where well, you love to smoke your meats, right? Your brisket, your pork shoulder. Is it, is it lunch time already? Is it, you, you love to smoke your meat. And you know, you know, like when you hear sacrifice and aroma, you think to yourself, oh yes, I know what we're talking about here. We're talking about my smoker. That's what we're, that's what we're doing. Well, no, we're not and we are. You, you know, at the very center of the camp of Israel was the temple, wasn't it? And constantly going up from the, the temple was this, this wafting smoke, smoke sometimes that came from the, the lamb that was there on the altar, so, sometimes from the spices that were thrown against the altar. But constantly this smoke went up, and the smoke wasn't just smoke, it was aroma. It was a fragrant offering, just as you would walk out on your back porch while you're smoking and you'd smell that aroma and your, your stomach would growl. There's something of the pleasingness of that aroma, the fragrance of that. And yet at the same time, the beauty and the fragrance of that is tied so closely to sacrifice. Now let me paint a different picture. Right at the center of Israel's life, not just this wafting up of this aroma, but right at the center of Israel's life was death, was sacrifice, blood, animals being given up as substitutes for the sins 
of God's people, side by side, you see. Sacrifice and pleasing aroma. Sacrifice and, and, and lovely smell. Where God himself, by virtue of, of Jesus' final sacrifice on the cross, is today, the throne room, so to speak, is filled with the fragrant aroma of this Christ, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Christ is the pleasing aroma on your behalf by virtue of his sacrifice. And you, my friends, as you sacrifice, you're like the Apostle Paul who says, I am being poured out as a drink offering. As I sacrifice, we are poured out as a drink offering. And the smell of the aroma of that offering goes into the nostrils, so to speak, of the Father. And well, the joy and the pleasure of our God is there. Until, my friends, that becomes the joy and the pleasure of you, you see, you'll never make time on your calendar to walk in love until you realize the depth to which you have been loved, to the rescue that has been made available to you, to the sweet aroma of Christ that is yours. Oh, that we would take up our cross daily and follow him. Oh, that we would be poured out it's a drink offering unto the Lord. Do you want the last days of your life, the remaining years of your life to be as such where you said, you know, I spent and I'm spending on me? Or do you desire that your life would be a living sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing, an aroma that would be pleasing to the Almighty God? Ponder Jesus today. Ponder what it is that he's done for you and you will find as a beloved child you will imitate even stumbling and fumbling you will imitate his love. Oh, Father, I pray that indeed we would. That we would be such a people who would, who would find your love so compelling that we would find the instinct and reflex of our soul would be to follow in imitation in the way that we've been loved. Lord, would you cultivate that in the practice of walking in, in love, even this week? For, for those who have been walking for a while in love, that they would learn to skip. Those who've been skipping, that they would learn to run in this love. Th those who have yet to walk would well, maybe take their first step. Father in heaven, it's your spirit who does this work. It's not going to be, Lord, in our strength. It's going to be in your love as beloved children that this strength is given to us graciously. Would you give it to us? And would you, would you cause us in devotion to follow you all the days of our lives. And when, Lord, not if, but when we don't, would we make quick repair unto you and find yet again, ah, oh, beloved children who can rest in the fragrant offering.
of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, hear this prayer and answer it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.